This is Connor Crace, and you're listening to Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. I mean, she can be a complete pain in the butt to talk to. And now you get to hear great guests from the romance audiobook community forced to do just that. So stick around for more than one eargasm. Or don't, you can leave after your first. Hello, hello. Welcome to a very special episode of Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. It's good to be back after my hiatus, wherein I wrote a novel called Attachment Theory, book two in the Brody Brothers series, and it's going to be out in audio very soon, performed by Zachary Weber and Emily Wu Zeller, featuring Jason Clark, Teddy Hamilton, Mackenzie Cartwright, Connor Crace, and Emma Wilder. So watch for Attachment Theory on Audible at the end of October. And guess what? At the end of this episode, you get to hear a nine and a half minute exclusive clip of Emily Wu Zeller and Zachary Weber from Attachment Theory. I am so happy and proud to be able to bring you this conversation I had with three of the great narrators working in Romance Audio, Erin Mallon, Emma Wilder, and Mackenzie Cartwright. Erin Mallon has, as of now, mid-October 2021, narrated around 450 books on Audible. She has won multiple Earphones Awards and been nominated for multiple Audie Awards. She is also a writer. She's a produced playwright, and she's been adapting her stage plays for audio. One of those productions, Come Find Me, was nominated for an Audie Award for Best Audio Drama earlier this year. If you're in the Facebook group Oral Fixation, like me, maybe you saw the live performance of These Walls Can Talk, which she wrote. That audiobook won this year's Independent Audiobook Award for Humor. She has also written romantic comedy novels, Flirtosaurus and Love Bug, and the upcoming Sharkbait. Emma Wilder, whom I spoke with in episode one, along with Teddy Hamilton, was the star of my Funny Business audiobook production and will appear in all of the Brody Brothers books. And she has over 230 titles listed on Audible as of today. She is also producing audiobooks for best-selling authors like Serena Bowen and Pippa Grant. She's been nominated for Sovis Voice Arts Awards, won an Audiophile Earphones Award, and multiple independent audiobook awards. She also records under another name, and for her work, she has been nominated for an Audi and won an Earphones Award and Sova's Voice Arts Award. And my OG narrator, Mackenzie Cartwright, a.k.a. Mac Attack, was my guest on Episode 3, and she has appeared in every single one of my audiobooks. She currently has over 150 titles listed on Audible. She was nominated for an Audi Award in Erotica for her narration of The Baller by Vi Keeland, along with Sean Crisden. She also records under a different name, primarily for the big publishers. Her work has been nominated for multiple Audis and won multiple Earphones Awards for exceptional audio performance. Uh, but please don't ask us or talk about what her other name is. But we do talk about the fact that she has one in the interview. On top of this really interesting conversation about their jobs and careers as romance narrators, which is very behind the scenesy. We get to hear an excerpt from a piece written by Erin Mallon. It's called Pale Blue Dots, and it's coming in the spring from Blackstone Audio. It's about an all-female astronaut team, and it has an amazing cast that has not been announced yet, 
but you get to hear Aaron and Emma and Mackenzie perform it for you live in a little bit. So get ready to hear us talk about lady business. So anyways, let's talk. So you you guys have all known each other for a while, right? Did you meet the way many narrators seem to meet, which is at an APA event involving a lot of alcohol? <laughs> well, actually, Mackenzie and I don't know each other that well. Yeah. Um, this is this is Aaron Mallon speaking. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, M Mackenzie, we've like emailed about a bunch of um, like interviews and stuff like that for romance narrators, but we I don't think we've ever spent physical time together in the same space. Oh, she's muted. <laughs> she doesn't want to be near me. <laughs> and this she's is like, she's she's difficult, you know. She's, out. she's so actressy, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, Erin, I, I wondered about that because I actually did see that interview that you did with Mackenzie for the Romance Narrators website. So I just assumed you guys knew each other. No, I mean, we've seen each other in passing and said hello, but, and then, you know, it's been two years since anyone's been around anyone, but no. So I'm, I'm excited to get to know her a bit better through, through this endeavor here today. Um, yeah, well, she's, if she comes back, she's talk. terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was great while it lasted. Actress. Yeah. <laughs> I guess when she said BRB, she actually meant, she I guess she BRB. did too. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I thought so, it was figurative, but no, so it was literal. <laughs> Well, um, so, but you and Emma. But Emma and I know each other very well, yes. We do. I don't know how we first met, though. It, it wasn't, because I know Mackenzie from Drunken Narrator <laughs> Ragers. Because <laughs> they yeah, get those around. Ragers. Those um, ragers. They are. They have, I mean, uh, that's how I approach them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how you directed uh, yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm always like, you know what? I don't even think I'm going to drink. Okay. Well, I'll just have one. And then like four different people are like, let me buy you a drink. And I'm like, okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, I know Mackenzie from parties first, then I think real friends just developed. And Aaron, I don't actually know how we first met. Do you? Um, no, I kind of feel like I've just always known you, but I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because I, you know, I have three little kids and I, I don't get out much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't think it was drunken ragers. For no, us. it definitely wasn't. It was maybe, I mean, maybe it was romance narrators, like, because you would do the interviews and then I would have to format them for the website. So we emailed Aww. a lot then. That, that sounds so unsexy the way we got. To <laughs> that That is admin related. And I'm just going to put the kibosh on that right now. It could not God. have been doing administrative work that you struck up a friendship. It's not allowed. Um, but then it just sort of like grew. I really don't know, because I feel like at this point we have like a really great almost like collaborative friendship yeah um, but it didn't grow the normal way for narrators which i do think is through conventions and yeah you know mixers and whatever or with the guys being on a million books together and so emailing that right. way right well one thing it's so helpful like i feel like we really have each other's backs with like we're very um what's the word i don't think transparent's the word is that it forthcoming <laughs> about about everything in the business that we're dealing with so yeah. we brutally honest <laughs> well, 
no, we don't critique each other's work. But we, <laughs> we like, we'll talk about like what books we're doing and who we're doing them for and what our rate is. Yeah. And, like oh, okay. the, yeah. the hard stuff like money and when it doesn't go well and who's giving you a hard time and how to deal with tough situations and like the, the vulnerable, sensitive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, because this job is so, so you feel quite alone a lot of times because you literally are alone most of the time. Um, and then when you talk to other people that are doing the same thing, like literally both be in the booth, taking a little break, send, send Emma a little message <laughs> and then get back to my chapter. Um, it's, it's helpful. It feels like, cause I come from the theater and yeah, I yeah. like to feel collaboration. So that's helpful. Are you in New York too, Aaron? I'm right outside of it now. I was in Brooklyn for a very long time. Okay. Now I'm in a little town in New Jersey, about 35 minutes outside of the city. Okay. So same time zone, at least. That helps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you were all trained as actors or performers. You, Aaron, you were a dancer for a while, right? Is that right? Ooh, yeah. Um, I grew up a dancer. Yeah, that's how I got into theater. And I, I thought that that's what I was going to do with my life. And then I had a taste of my first play where they let me say things. And I was like, nope, <laughs> this is it. So I want to talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so what I'm wondering is like, were there ever opportunities before you became narrators where you got to play men or little kids or people in their 60s, for instance? Because that seems like a pretty unique and amazing thing about your jobs narrating books that you get to voice yes. so many characters. I just popping in, I was definitely a character actress. I mean, I can't even the 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 title scared me in college because I wanted so much to be an ingenue but if I just had looked in the mirror I would have I, and accepted it I would have gotten it and I would have enjoyed it from a much earlier time in my life I I would do the plays where I'd be my you know my own age but then also like the 65 year old man and I do oh really I, I played in a college child. do you mean no, no. I mean, I mean, professionally and like oh, okay. theater in New York and Los Angeles um, and, and touring and multiple, multiple shows. So multiple, multiple. tracks, multiple, you know, just doing different ca small characters in the ensemble where you're, you know, you put on the hat and then you're this. And, and uh, I liked that a lot. I actually learned that it could be a little bit of a superpower rather than, um, you know, the, the one you want to be when you grow it up. It kind of hurts, right? But yeah, because I feel like we're all sort of, because being a character actor means you're not beautiful and it means you're not the one people want to root for and look at. And you're not the one who gets to have the big love story traditionally, particularly when you're 20, you know, yeah. like, um, and yeah. it doesn't really mean that, but that's how it yeah. feels. <laughs> that's like, how it feels, especially yeah. if you go to a you know big fancy conservatory training where there are yeah. very beautiful, sophisticated people who are you know from the beginning the the spotlight is there, yeah, uh, and you know you want some of that light reflected back at you. Totally, and, and uh, uh, yeah, like there's only going to be one Juliet, and it's not going to yeah. be you. But hey, we need a nurse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sure. Did any of you play the nurse? 
Oh God, I hope to someday. I mean, <laughs> aging into it. That would be, that would be great. You know, especially because Juliet's 13 years old, you know, the, the nurse right. is probably got to be, she's probably going to be like 26. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. And she's an old lady. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's just so nice. It's so, it's so nice not having that camera or, or the, the looking, I, I miss, I miss a live audience that, that will never change, but sure. the, the timing and the stuff you can do with comedy is just, you know, hearing, hearing gasps, <laughs> um, hearing yeah. in, in involuntary responses of, of people, at, if they're being taken on a journey or the dead silence, if they're not, frankly, <laughs> you go to the theater and it's just, it's work, but, um, yeah, it's it's so nice just to just to be whoever I say that I am. <laughs> That's really nice. I like what you said about like not having the camera there. I think in your booth you have a lot of freedom. And the other day I was doing a booth video for um an author and I was realizing that I had to be somewhat conscious of what my face was doing. But <laughs> I didn't want to scare anyone. And I know now that there are things that I do, um, especially like if I'm doing male characters or if I have to do something like a very small character and it's a little, you're allowed to be a little wacky for something that only has a line here or there, not to say sustainable for a whole book, but I was like, I had to be conscious of my face. I'm like, I don't like this <laughs> because um, someone <laughs> told me once when they watched a booth video, they're like, do you know that every time you do a male character, your eye does this and your chin does that? I was like, I did not, but now I do. Oh, you're like, no. I sure wish I didn't know that. Thank you for yeah. nothing. But, but I mean, I remember like early days of training for audiobooks and actually learning that, that so many people that aren't in the business or they want to be as a performer, they they think a lot about the way they sound instead of just embodying the character because it's so important to them that they have all these different sounding characters. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, I think is a result of being like entrenched in each character that said though, like there are little things that you can do to alter how you sound. And some of those are facial expressions. If my eyebrows yeah. go up, I know something different happens to my or physical, like you hunch or you, turn your head one way or the other, like just sort of a physicality for each character. I find myself doing that, but I don't plan that or think about it. it just right. Happens. Right. You realize afterwards, oh, I always do that with my, right. this kind of guy or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, you don't have to think about what you look like. And that is very freeing. And I would say all three of us have very expressive faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I feel like I didn't do well with on camera stuff because like, I just like, my face is very mobile and like it doesn't like when they're like you just need like a, on ca the camera catches just like you know the, yeah. a millimeter shift in your eye and I'm like like right. this like <laughs> it's too much too much tamp it down that's too much Ruh -ruh. <laughs> I remember an um acting teacher I won't get too into it because there were definitely some minuses here but <laughs> a she always said there is nothing more interesting than watching a man eat his cheese. <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, really? I was like 22. And I'm like, I think there are more interesting things than that. <laughs> is that a <laughs> metaphor for something? Well, what she, she was trying to get a room. Yeah, she was trying to get a room full of young actors to understand that watching people truly think and truly live and breathe is inherently fascinating um sure. 
an honesty, a simplicity. Right. And I think like to Sarah's point, like that the camera loves that. They love, it loves simplicity. Um, right. And uh, yeah, but I think it takes a long time for someone to be able to do that, to trust that them being a human being there thinking and responding in the moment is interesting. Right. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of training to be able to release into that and let that be all you're doing. It's a lifelong journey, right? The yeah. I am enough <laughs> acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. And accepting your relationship with cheese. Is, is and that can change over time, you know, <laughs> it's fine. And then suddenly, yeah. Oh, you, who just said that I am enough, Sarah? Uh, God, I, I did. Yeah. That's okay. okay. I'll, I'll rephrase. Emma, are you the one that just said you are enough? <laughs> Uh, are you talking to me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. I, um, yes, I did. I, I saw I, Emma. Uh, you, Emma. I saw a meme the other day that just cracked me up. I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it was something like um, the, a surefire way to let people know that like you are having a shit time is to have a <laughs> big ass poster in your house that says, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. <laughs> <laughs> just pro projecting to everyone like you know I'm not enough <laughs> but I'm working on it <laughs> oh god I, I saw yeah. that this like meme it's like a art poster I guess not really a meme but it made me laugh all day yesterday I posted it on Facebook and maybe some of you saw it I want to find it now because I want to get it right uh but it said oh fuck where is it it's Come the on. lemon one right yeah it's the lemon one it said when life gives you a lemon you must eat the lemon, all of it, including the skin. <laughs> and it's an awesome graphic. I just need, I needed it. Yeah, I needed that approach to a couple lemons. All of it. All of it um, including the skin. All of it. All of it. And the seeds. Yep. Enjoy. <laughs> um, so have you, have you had actor friends who possibly thought before COVID that you were crazy for dedicating your time to narrating books. But after lockdown, they were like, how do I get into that? Hook me up. I've, I've had friends ask me how to get into it forever. Oh. But I think in a more like, wouldn't this be an easy and um, low key way to make money when I'm not doing a real Just job? On the side, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, yeah, it would. Uh, if only. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, it doesn't totally work that way. Um, so that has maybe increased a little as people's desperation has increased with the, you know, pandemic. But I would say people always want to get into it, but the, but many of them fundamentally misunderstand what it requires in terms of commitment and, like, buy-in. Well, would you like to discuss what it requires for commitment and buy-in? Sure. Well, <laughs> you don't have to. I mean... <laughs> Okay, so you're talking to three trained trained actresses. Yeah, I mean, we spent we spent a lot of money and a lot of time. There's there's competition at every level. You see, we're in the major markets, so we're living in places that are extremely expensive. Right. Um, our our studios alone probably cost. I mean, it depends. What 12, mine certainly cost fifteen. Yeah, mine at this point, my pro mine's probably cost twenty k. Yeah. 20k so you know you it, it's not it's not even that you know a lot of some people get into voiceover they go oh you know what i got an extra 10 grand laying around i'll buy a bunch of gear and i'll and i'll buy i'll buy a, a block of coaching 
lessons and I'll figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that if you, if you want to spend $25,000 and do that more power to you, because chances are you're going to be selling that gear on the Facebook groups and again, trying to get out of it. Right. If you're not, if you're not prepared for what this takes. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm not to speak for the other, the other two ladies, but we've all, we all were all in when we were all at some point, I'm going to just say broke actors. That's probably, I mean, everybody is broke at some point and we learned how to survive then. And we had to continue to learn how to survive in this business too. So the, I mean, speaking for myself, being able to survive as an actor is great, is great education for surviving as a, someone who's primarily now a voice actor. Right. Yeah. I mean, also the boring stuff to talk about, which we don't need to get into too much, but is like the logistics of doing this is really hard. Like sometimes it's Penguin calling you and offering you a beautiful job and you go in and do it in their studio and you get off at five and you're like, what a great day. (laughs) And you go home, but like not often. And so much more of the time it's like, oh fuck, my neighbor turned on their AC. Like I can't even fucking record right now. Or if I, maybe I can filter it out, even though no one wants me to filter things. I shouldn't do that. Or like, I need to move like sound issue. Like it's so um, logistically complicated. And these days you pretty much have to learn how to engineer yourself uh, and run all your own equipment. And then that's on top of the sometimes soul crushing nature of being an actor and an artist freelancing and constantly hunting for new jobs and better jobs and people telling you, um, actually, no, we hated you. (laughs) So, uh, no, they went with someone else. They were really not into you, uh, or just feeling like you're sending out emails, like, and they're not coming, like, you know, freelancing, like being an author, anything where you're like, here's my art, who wants it? (laughs) Like, is not the kind of life, uh, for the week of spirit, you know? Yeah. You got to have a, sometimes you got to have a real, it, it feels, it feels almost like, like the plucky young kid in New York. Like, well, I'll show them. I mean, it, it's, it's like my, one of my favorite movies as a kid, well, and still is, is the Muppets take Manhattan where yes. the frog is running up to the top of the empire state state building. And it seems like all is lost. Nothing. This is the low point. This is the point where it all could end. And and he says, no, you hear me, New York? I'm staying. The frog is staying. <laughs> and, you know, I, I I look at that. I really thought that's what New York was going to be like when I was a kid. <laughs> I really thought you could, like, pay 25 cents and stay in a locker at Grand Central Station and <laughs> get a job in a diner and, and then be on Broadway in a couple of months. Mm. that Lonnie Price was going to come and say, hey, kids, you know what? We need more dogs and chickens and talking <laughs> things, whatever. You're not going to watch the show. You're going to be in the show. That is that is what they're going to say. But then they're going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mackenzie, Emma and uh, Aaron. We, we just need dogs and chickens. We actually don't need any grown up women. <laughs> thanks, thanks for playing. Thanks for yeah. playing. The Spanx, the Spanx stores to the left. Oh. <laughs> But we all have very different approaches to it, right? Like Aaron, you have it. We all have, we all have different careers. Like our, our audio careers and our careers in books sort of have different shapes. The three of us, I would say. And yours is really unique, Aaron, because you're also writing. 
you know? So I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. It's been interesting. Um, cause you know, I've been writing for over 10 years, but I've been primarily writing for the theater and for, for years. I mean, I also primarily narrate romance. I would say about 75% of what I narrate is romance. Mm-hmm. And, um, couple years ago, people started asking me, um, when are you going to write a romance book? And at the time I said, I'm not like, I just, it wasn't something that I was thinking of doing. I'm like, I'm a playwright and I I narrate romance. But then I started thinking like, I've narrated so many romance books. I know the ones that I really jive with. I know the ones that I might approach differently. I know what makes me happy. Um, and I love comedy and it's what I primarily write in theater. So I was like, I'm just going to give it a go. So I, I wrote my first um, rom-com kind of on the sly. I only told a few people. Um, and then when it was done, I was like, hey, people, I did something. And and then took it from there. And it's been a little slow going for me because I have a full-time career as a narrator and I have three kids. So I'm I'm always trying to find I'm not at this point, I'm not going to be that author who's putting out a book every two to three months. Um, I would like to be that person, but um, I think it's going to take me a while. So, but this is a perfect lead lead into my next question, which is I'm always interested in other people's time management skills because mine are terrible. So like, how do you structure your days? Because Erin and Mackenzie both have little kids and Emma, you're in New York and I think you're, you're living with your boyfriend now or. No, we Um, broke up. Yes. I'm living. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, yes, I live with my boyfriend. <laughs> just, just wanted to make an awkward moment. Yeah, but no, I do. So how do you, and like, you know, for you, Aaron, like how do you squeeze in a little writing of radio plays and novels in your spare time? I mean, yeah. do you sleep? Um, I do, but not always a ton. Um, <laughs> I, I try to schedule my writing like so I know in December I'm taking three weeks off from narrating. I already know in um, April and May of 2020, 2022, that's not so formal. I know I'm taking a few weeks off then too. And those, those two pockets of time are like, what's going to help me go in the home stretch of putting out a new book both times. Okay. Um, that said, I write whenever the hell I can. So I've got right. Scrivener, my app on my phone. Oh, so if I'm waiting in line to pick up my kid at school and oh I get God. there 15 minutes early, I write a scene. Um, wow. I've wow. always been that way though. Like when I was in the city, I would, I would write underground when I'm on the subway. I just try to make writing my natural state as much as I can. So I never get far from it. And then when I have a deadline that then I, I know, okay, I'm, I'm not working as a narrator this month. I'm going balls to the wall on this. Oh, that's um, so impressive. Well, it is what it has to be. And then like, honestly, last week was a doozy because I knew my husband was going to be traveling a lot. Um, and so I got up and narrated from three to seven every morning. Um, and oh, wow. Oh my good God. That's- yeah, but I get, <laughs> I get- I get great work done um, in those four hours because everyone's quiet. Um, house is quiet. I'm very focused because if I'm going to be up, I'm not going to be like messing around. I'm going to be working. Um, and I just make sure on those nights I, I go to bed early and 
So I just do what I have to do. It's not always very classy or sexy, but it's, it gets done. Is your studio in your house, like attached to your house? Or do you have a separate Yeah, shed? it's a, it's a, it's not the best placement, but I think with three little kids, like it, I, you can't really get away from their noise, which is when, when they're unconscious, it's best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's on the first floor of our house. Yeah. Um, so do they know not to like come and knock on the door or something like that? Um, they do. No when I'm working, they're either sleeping with their dad or with a babysitter. Like right now they're in the basement with a babysitter. Um, and, uh, yeah, but like they've got stompy feet. So if they run past the room next to the room where my booth is, like uh, it'll come, it'll show up on my waveform when I'm working. So I have to stop and re-record. They're generally pretty good. I'm just trying, I don't want them to have a childhood where they just remember that, uh, not only, but remember their mom saying like, be quiet. Yeah, Mommy's yeah. working, be quiet. Like, I don't, I don't want that for them. So that's why I try to work around them. It's a little easier now that the older two are in school, which they weren't okay. for eight months. Um, so that was rough, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting a, a sort of schedule happening now, which feels good. And uh, everything <laughs> changed like with lockdown or was it already kind of like that? Uh, well, before lockdown, I had two kids in preschool and I was pregnant. Um, right. So the pregnant one didn't bother me much. <laughs> um, and then the other two at least had school from nine to 12 um, every day. And then that all stopped. And then I had a baby. So, but you know what? I got a lot done during that uh, year. I, I think I'm, I think I'm someone who for better or worse, probably worse, likes to do what I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> so if everyone's like, oh, I can't get anything done. I like to be getting stuff done. Now we're supposed to be productive again. And I'm like, oh, I'm having a hard time doing that. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a lifetime of being a good, sweet Catholic girl that was always kind to everyone. And now I'm just like, I need a little bit of naughtiness and rebellion. Yeah, I work at midnight. Rock on. <laughs> F you. I, I can wake up at three in the morning. <laughs> oh, no one's jealous of that. So. <laughs> so, Emma, what about living in New York? Do you have to oh, worry about other people? How long do you have? Everyone's sick of hearing me complain about this. Uh, I'm having a really, I'm having a really hard time. Yeah. I, I'm living in a, I'm someone who doesn't do really well without like some level of control over my own schedule. Um, and right now I don't really have a ton because there's construction yeah. next door from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. every weekday. Um, in the summer, there's loud air conditioners next right. door at random times. And then also, you know, like yesterday I was like, okay, this week was like garbage. I also have like a foster kitten right now who's like very oh. needy, <laughs> but, but um. <laughs> Yeah, I was like yesterday. I was like, great. Like, I had a really bad week. It, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get stuff done. I'm gonna finish a book and start another book. And then there was some like drummer three blocks away at the top of Prospect Park, and what for whatever reason, the wind was just like wafting the base of that over the buildings, and no one could really hear it normally. But in my booth, I could hear it, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm not gonna record today. So I'm not doing wow. great with it, and I want to get out of the city. <laughs> So it's entire um, days that are lost sometimes that yeah really like, I mean it could be anything it could be someone you know I don't know it's rough it's not ideal I don't recommend it okay. <laughs> um it's not yeah I'm not I'm not as good at the time structuring thing and so it feels yeah. very weak like I don't have kids like I have a boyfriend who can 
take care of himself like if two cats and this foster kitten but like they're cats like there's nothing where it's you know people who are like oh i'm taking care of my uh, mother who's ill and living with us and i have like two kids and also um i like work a full-time job and like they're still recording and i'm like oh god i'm doing nothing <laughs> i've achieved nothing um but i i, I need to get better at it uh, did you, i don't did know you used i don't to have a system record in a studio before um as much as I could, never as much as I wanted. I would love to do that more. I do it occasionally. Um, I certainly try to get those jobs, but it doesn't always work out that way. And it certainly doesn't work out that way for indie. You know, there's only a couple big traditional publishers who will pretty much always put you in a studio. Okay. Um, and for indie stuff, like for much of it, that would be coming out of your rate. Mm, really? Yeah. Unless you're one of a couple people slash guys who are yes, like, I nope, think that's I just what I do. Talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> I have um, idea. But even he uh, has done home studio stuff too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, nice. I wish, but no. Well, let's talk about the dude voices in dual romance narration because this is interesting to me. Are you are you at all inspired by the voices of? men in your life do you ever imitate anyone in particular or i find myself imitating my co-narrators yeah yeah that was my next question yeah <laughs> that like yeah yeah i mean it's not like a full-on imitation but right I'm, if i know i'm cast with teddy hamilton i was yeah. gonna use him as an yeah. example too i'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna do specific. an impression of him but i'm definitely gonna carry an energy that is quite yeah. different than if I'm working with Sebastian York. Um, right. It's going to be different. And or I Christian know, Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, they're if different. I know, if I know Teddy's in this role, I have a sense. I mean, he's a versatile actor, but we all who are who we are and yeah. carry a certain energy with us. So, yeah. I mean, I'll do that. Um, my husband, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I, <laughs> when I... It, imitate my husband I make him sound like a complete doofus like <laughs> same, same with me and my boyfriend yeah he caught me one time and he's like Jesus is that what you think I sound like I said, I'm a moron and I'm like no you're not a moron but like <laughs> so I don't think I bring my actual um work to imitating my husband but um, yeah. yeah also so few men have I mean, maybe for a supporting character, but like so few men have that romance hero voice that everyone wants to hear. So like the men in True. my life largely right. don't sound like that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But say for the smaller character parts, if you're doing like an I guess it depends on the book. Character. I feel like, sorry, I feel like I'm sort of talking over you, Mackenzie, because I like sometimes sort of hear you, but if I'm talking She's over anyone, just- actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, then, then I am, but it's not on me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I have some, it depends on the type of book, but if it's like a stock, I feel like I have a stock character, uh, like stable. So if it's like the friendly dad who comes in for right. yeah. three lines, like that's not a real person in my life. That's like what I have in my mind decided the friendly dad sounds like, <laughs> you know, or like right. the mean rich mom. I'm like, I know what that is. Um, but that only works if it's a character who's in the book basically to be a type and we're not going to find out more about them, you know? Right, right. 
So is it essential for you to hear your co-narrator? I mean, obviously you guys work with a lot of the same guys over and over again and you're friends, so you know what they sound like, but like, is it essential for you to hear your co-narrator's takes on characters when you're working on a dual or duet project? Like say your co-narrator is Zach or Teddy and they're recording a week after you. Does that change your process at all or does it really matter? Uh, for me, it, it, it helps to, to know his voice. Right. And because because I'm in my character is interacting with that character all the time, it just kind of develops in my imagination as I'm narrating, which okay. is why because you know so many of these projects, on you know I may be doing a one day project on Monday with, you know with a, a main co narrator and three minor roles, then a completely different book on Tuesday mm. that's a two dayer where one guy is recording before me, but two are recording after me and then wednesday thursday may be a completely different genre oh you hear the stomping that's my yeah. that's my little one Hang on. talk about yeah. yourselves more 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 okay. um I, I would say uh with narrators you work with a lot like you kind of just trust each other to make smart choices and so it, right. i don't need to hear what they're going to do they don't need to hear what i'm going to do i can be like um, I made the best friend's voice a little higher and perkier. The other friend is a little softer and less sure. Um, I didn't pitch the mom too high or too old. She just sounds like regular, you know, warm mom, like just sort of character notes. And that's mm. enough because, it, you know, some sample that Joe Arden does of how he thinks the deli owner sounds like, I'm not going to sound like that anyway. You know, like right. we can't match. So like if you is, just get the spirit, right. Is the concept like... Well, I'm a person who's telling this story as opposed to acting everything out and everything has to match. Like your your POV is your POV, right? Or I guess does that change depending on the project, like depending on the way the book is written too? Oh, well, I I find in general, if it's a first person POV and if it makes sense for the world, I try to place it as close to my natural speaking voice as possible mm. because I'm going to have to sustain that for at least four or five hours. You mean um, for the main character? For the main character, yes. Yeah, yeah. The internal monologue, all that. Um, but we do a lot of series. So in that, say it's a four book series and I place the first person POV for that main character in the first book to sound exactly like me. And then all three of her friends are in that book and I'm getting the vibe. I'm like, yep, we're going to have book two is going to be her. Book three is going to be that. You see coming down the line. Yeah. 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 And so you have to make preemptive choices that you know are sustainable for you and for the listener. So because if I make the wacky girl too wacky, then come book four when it's her book, I got to tone it down yeah. and it won't quite match what I did before. That's not ideal. So I got to be thinking about book four on book one. See, I approach it a little differently. I feel like I do dial it down. I let the the main person fall closest to me and I just keep mm -hmm. the order of everybody else. So like if, mm. like say there's four girls and the first one is going to be me because I don't know, that's just what happens, right? You're just like, this is regular me. And then there's one who's like the party friend who's like a little more like, I'm, I'm never settling down. Like I'm just not, you know, whatever. There's the one who's like, more like fun and wild then there's like the sweeter higher one who's more gentle and just like maybe she's not really sure and then there's somebody else but like as long as I get and this is something I talk about with co-narrators too as long as we get like it doesn't matter if your voice sounds the same as theirs yeah. but if they make one guy friend way lower and you made him way higher then I feel like that sounds weird and okay. so for another book in a series 
say I went from the friend who's like, I, I let my voice be a little bit like lower and like wilder, but I I kind of let the light, the spotlight refocus for every book and just sort everyone else out around me as long as I maintain like the personality I chose for that character. Mm-hmm. I see. But I don't know. That makes sense. I mean, I probably there's probably an aspect of what I do that's like that too. I've just never heard it described that way. Um, but you know, I've we get to know the characters on a deeper level as the series goes on. But what I've discovered is that the writer absolutely does too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's understandable. <laughs> yeah, it's understandable, but it it's it's tricky for a narrator um, because like Joe Arden and I were just emailing today because we're on the seven book series together and we've done five and now, so we're moving into the sixth and now this character, the female character, she's the main character. She showed up in book four, no mention of an accent whatsoever. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Oh. And then in book five, she showed up at the very end of the book because the author was prepping for her to you know, be the main character. And um, they mentioned something about her slight twang. And I was like, mm-hmm. shit. So I gave her, the slightest, slightest twang in that. And now we're moving into book six and prepping that. And thank God, it's like one of those things where her, it says something like her, she's trained the accent out of her, but yes. she it comes out when she's angry or mm-hmm. heightened. <laughs> so we're gonna be very gentle with the accent throughout and then let it be heightened. But, you know, in book four, I voiced her a lot because she was the best friend in that book and not an accent in sight because it was never oh mentioned. Yeah. So you do this what is, you can. This is all so, fam- so familiar. I like, I'm, I'm nodding my head. Like, I know you can't see me, but I'm nodding my head and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Let a pro. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. This is all so familiar. And the only thing I'd add to it is that, um, that so much could be done with pacing and an attitude. Uh, that mm-hmm. maybe does not, which, you know, Aaron and Emma are doing, they're doing naturally, but it's something I've, I can observe in their performances that, uh, that just the pacing and the phrasing. And if, if the writing is good, these characters are written differently so that we're yeah. not relying on things like pitches. Right. You know, just just you to know. tell us who we are, you know, someone who's got a languorous, you know, speaks fewer words, but he draws them out. And, you know, all that, all that can and, be reflected in performance. And, and, la, 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 la. <laughs> can you, can you, can you tell who that is? Yes. <laughs> Your character voices are amazing, Mackenzie. I, I believed. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, our, our, our lovely neighbor lady, uh, ha- hasn't come by when she says she's going to come by. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's all good. She likes to to go into the booth and take my lip balm (laughs) and put it on herself. It's like she doesn't want you to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) She wants me to put it on. Like a little all about Eve thing happening. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're talking about the guys. So I've been friends with actors my whole life. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And willingly, too. Like, what's wrong with me? It's like you understand me. <laughs> but um, so, but one thing I've noticed about male and female romance narrators is that you're all just, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but you're all just exceptionally wonderful people in general. But I also think, and I guess this is the same for narrators in like all or most genres, but especially in romance, like you, you all have to be in touch with your male 
and female sides and and obviously in romance be comfortable with sex stuff too but do you think that like a certain type of highly evolved person is drawn to romance narration or like do you evolve with the the more books that you're reading do you <laughs> it's get very, more that's very generous of you to say um <laughs> yeah, yeah Kaylee, Kaylee, that's really sweet but no yeah agreed no although i would say it's possible that people who are like that keep getting hired and yeah. so, just more so at the end of the day that is the people who can easily and quickly put themselves into these different characters and sort of empathize with this type of range of people are the ones who you hear a lot because yeah. we have okay. to jump we have to jump into a lot fearlessly we yeah. have to we have to make a lot of commitments and we have to and we also have to do you know the mundane things that you learn but training up as an actor you learn mm-hmm. to to stick to a deadline you learn oh you got to be at that audition on time you've got to be prepared you've got to have your material down or you're going to have your ass handed to you by all the other people who are clamoring for the job so right. it's, although it's although of- there are always exceptions <laughs> to oh. that rule Un- undoubtedly so there's always the person who slips you just you're just like oh I'm such a good little, I'm, I've got all my little ducks in a row. I've prepared my script. I've done all that thing. And look at that guy or look at that, yeah. you know, it's usually a guy. <laughs> it's always a guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but uh, as it, as it um, relates to, you know, being in touch with your male and female sides and having easy access to your emotions, right? Because yeah. romance requires us to, uh, tap directly into big wild emotions it's not like be feelsy yeah yeah um i do think you know we joke about some of the guys not being good with deadlines but they are in touch with their emotions do you know what i mean like i don't think you make it so that's like and you three would know even more than me but like these guys are just they're such good guys like i only know the ones that i've cast but they're all i mean seems to me they're all great at working with and being friends with women and while all male actors should be in general they aren't necessarily but it must be nice to work with men on these kinds of projects that you feel so comfortable with i think the men that are consistently cast in romance for the most part have a great respect for the genre so um they have a respect they want the work to be good and they want to do well by the authors and they want to do well by their partners that's not across the board but i feel like in general, they would not be working this consistently in the genre if they didn't care deeply about it. Um, are, that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I, I would also add part of that is because, I mean, we have a lot of the hiring power. It's a system that rewards good work Goodness, and also yeah. good behavior. One of the things that's nice about about working with people that we that we work with, that everybody in this room works with, and um, you know, this nice network is that it really is refreshing to work with great people who are, um, who I, I mean, my, my cap is absolutely off and I'm in awe of some of the things that you have all created. Everybody in this room has created. And, um, some of these, some of these guys and these co-narrators, it's, I'm very grateful for being able to collaborate with them. It makes my performance better. It makes me excited. I, I feel like I'm, oh God, just to use a tired metaphor, I'm rising to the occasion. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I, I, I'm excited when I hear who, who I'm going to get to narrate with. 
Um, that's men and women. P.S. That's that's not yeah. like oh, which which guy do I get to be with? It's it's really. Um, I yeah. love. I wish I could do more multicasts um, because Same. I'm really I really respect the hell out of my fellow actors and um, and yeah and when and when someone and we do we do all talk and we all have to talk. I find in this kind of shorthand because we're often like Aaron said, dashing off a text on a break. I mean that is in between. 57 other things that we have to do. And so we have to often have to cut to the chase. Right. How's it going? Well, it's, this is what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And we remember too. Do you guys ever notice trends in who you get paired up with for projects? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I do too. I feel like I always get uh, Zach Weber. Yeah. And more teddy now i've been getting a lot i mean i've been heavy 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 teddy action <laughs> in my bookings <laughs> um but yeah like i haven't worked with sebastian york in a while like i don't work with him that often i don't work with christian thinking, fox that often he's not working he might not be working as much yeah yeah both of them actually aren't working i feel like i used Who to do be you guys work with I was with Jason Clark all the time. Like we did, oh my God, we may have done like 50 books together. It was like, wow. we were just going, going, going. Now we definitely still get paired up, but um, I, I think I'm probably more often with um, Teddy and Joe. That's who I'm yeah. with, I think. I used to I used to be with Joe and Jason more. Yeah, we're all with Teddy because Teddy does like a million books a day. Yeah. <laughs> How does he do it, man? I mean, I don't even know. I've been mm. working with uh, Shane East a lot. Um, uh-huh. Oh yeah, I yeah. do. I have two series with him because I do a lot of British accents. So I have a Scottish it, series with him. Oh, oh, or two. Fun. Yeah, Because I know, like Mackenzie, you got you got paired up with Connor a lot after Bossy Christmas, which yes. is great for him and terrible for you. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, 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 you. Uh, Connor's fantastic. What are you I talking know. about? What are you talking about? I don't know. I can't not give him shit. That's what you we do. Yeah. Shit. What's that about? <laughs> let's, let's let's turn the camera around, Kaylee. Uh, he he calls me Mac Attack. So it's, it's I don't like know. Maybe he just nicknames the most people. on point nickname though for you because okay. all right, all right, guilty as charged. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm so forever like a, feeling Mac attacked. So like a save by the bell twist there. I mean, Zach attack yeah. is Zach's band. That's what, is that what this is? Or do I just see everything no. through a save by the bell lens? <laughs> I think you do. I mean, obviously yes. But in addition <laughs> to that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, okay. I'm so sorry. I never watched the show except when someone showed me the clip of what's your name from, um, What's her name from uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen? No, no, oh, no, but that's Lisa great, Turtle. That's a great one of the three named actresses. Was it the gal who was? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Yes, that, that I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because she took a diet pill. She took caffeine pills to study, but it backfired. So don't <laughs> do it, kids. Someone showed me that clip. That clip was going around the internet or something. And I, and of course it is play. It's Elizabeth Berkeley. 
Yeah. Oh, right. to star in the greatest bad movie of all time, Showgirls. <laughs> Showgirls. So that's all I know about Saved by the Bell. But if but if Macate- if that means Macatech is a compliment, I'll take it. It's a compliment. <laughs> it's just very apropos. So, anyways, I listened to these walls can talk dose Aww. recently, which Aaron Mallon wrote, um, and I had watched the first one live in oral fixation, and they're both fantastic. But it's so cool! It's so cool to hear the sound effects as a radio play in audiobook form, yeah. um, and a lot of interesting topics of conversation came up in part two about the romance. I like calling it part two. <laughs> 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 that's it those are those are all the languages i know um but uh there's a lot of stuff that came up about the romance audio industry and, and there's this wonderful thing that andy's character vera says about heas in romance novels and how for the reader the story doesn't end once they've finished reading the book and i really i really loved how you wrote that Aaron. that was very oh, thank you. well done um and one of the things that was brought up briefly in the characters' conversations was that um, sort of people in the general audiobook community sort of not necessarily looking down upon the romance genre, but maybe not respecting it. Is that something that you ladies feel at all, like when you're at an APA event, for instance? Uh, yeah, I think, I think people get, they feel shy. Um, and their shyness around the genre, if they're not, if they don't work in it often, their shyness, it seems like arrogance. It yeah. seems like looking down on what we're doing, but none of us are shy about it. Yeah. Um, and we're working a lot and we have a great career. So it's, it's this funny little moment where they get all tongue and cheeky about it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't feel a need to meet you with that energy. Like it's. It's interesting. Um, I don't know who else wants to talk about that. I mean, I'll say, I think the industry looks down on it. I don't think it gets yeah. reviewed as often in our industry magazine and it doesn't win yeah. awards as often. Yeah. Um, I think in that sense, uh, it is very um, put in a different class when yeah. it comes to achievements and art, right? Yeah. Um, which is, our, uh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, I was going to say it's complete bullshit because like, yeah, it's quote unquote genre fiction, but so's sci-fi and so's crime. Like having a, a, a you know, formula is the wrong word because formulaic sounds um, like a put down, but it is, you know, there are formulas and tropes and it it is a genre and it has to respect the bones of that genre, you know, um, but like fucking everything is genre. like it doesn't mean anything yeah. <laughs> and like uh, it is. I think it is put in a lower class by um, the muckety mucks of the industry. Like, I don't think people are super impressed when I email the big publishers about anything that I'm doing romance related. So I just don't talk about it. I talk about other stuff. Ah, just avoid the topic altogether. Yeah, or I mention it glancingly, but it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Emma, like what, what you just said about, about, um, oh, sorry, I forgot to eat the mic. Uh, (laughs) all of it including the skin ate of it including the seeds what you said about you know everything's a genre you know I don't want to narrate one more girl disappears girl is raped at the beginning of a thing that then fuels the the Mm -hmm. guy's search for you know his vengeance that then you mean girl gets fridged guy gets redeemed yeah yeah 
I'm so sick of that shit. And I've, I, I've done the look, the looking down on romance to me feels like it's a, there's something real misogynistic about it. There's something. Oh, for sure. It's a below the belt. uh, And, and, you know, and for women who, who hop on the, the shitting on romance uh, horse, it's that's to me, that's internalized, internalized misogyny Mm. too. Yeah. It's a, it's a little, it's a little, (laughs) um, you know, I want to be on the side of whatever's powerful and there's something subversive about romance and it, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And people just write it off, right? Like they think, Oh, well, it's like tropey and genre. So it's all just garbage. And like, it's like anything else. Sure. Some of it's garbage. Some of it is like transcendent. It's that's art. Do you know what I mean? And it's all yeah. subjective anyway. Um, and like, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I feel like I've done, and enjoyed a bunch of books recently where it's like, maybe my husband's a murderer. No, wait, we're both murderers. And like, I feel like that's become like a really popular thing. And I like, kind of like it. And like, there's nothing wrong with a trope, you know, um, uh, anything can be done well or poorly. And it's just I, stupid to be like, that's for girls. The people that are, are, I like, what did you say? The shitting on romance horse. I want to yeah, imagine that horse <laughs> prancing all over town. Just need to take a horse. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the people that are doing that, they're also not paying attention and they're very misinformed. Um, yeah. Most of those people don't have their foot in that door at all. Aren't reading it, aren't narrating it, aren't right. paying attention. So they're still talking about Fabio and bodice rippers mm-hmm. and right. they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so I, I try to gently educate and move on and realize that I'm, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And, you know, I think that also can translate to people that don't understand um, being an indie author and they're still yes. stuck in it's changing, but they're still stuck in that, like that old school m- mentality of someone must like pluck you from obscurity and choose you. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, pay attention to all these women who are building empires and don't give a shit about being chosen. They choose themselves and then they yeah. create the world around them. And I'm much more interested in that. Yeah. So, but, so you all, you all narrate or have narrated books in other genres. And I know Mackenzie and Emma use different names for those. And Erin, you have Muffy Newtown for the darker romance, right? Is that kind of how it yeah. gets divided up? Yeah. Um, when you, when you're scheduling projects, do you ever, do you like consciously make a choice to book a certain number of projects like in certain genres or like under each name or does it all just boil down to availability? Um, I don't make choices like that. Um, I, I think because the majority of what I work on is romance, um, it's pretty much all me. Um, and sometimes Muffy gets requested because her name is lined up with the, the darker stuff and the MC romances and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I don't actively seek work for my pseudonym anymore. Um, I kind of just employ her when it makes the most sense. Every once in a while, I get into a tricky situation where someone requests me as Muffy, Mm -hmm. but then, and I'm happy to do that, but the, the book doesn't actually line up with what 
muffies become. And so if someone, <laughs> if someone gets that book, they're like, I was expecting tons of sex. I was expecting danger, darkness, this mm-hmm. and that. And it wasn't that. But and they're like, Muffy owns a candy shop and her neighbor owns the bigger <laughs> candy shop across town. Well, I mean, because I think sometimes for gym. Me, <laughs> it seems like a moot point for me to have um, a, a pseudonym because it's not it's not for romance. I do a ton of romance. Um, for me, it's really been a like a, a genre, a subgenre separator. Right, right. Um, so when it doesn't line up, people get confused. But you know, we do our best. Um, I would say it's generally it's who who gets to the calendar first, and and my my dance card fills up with what it fills up with. Um, and generally, people know who to ask for Mackenzie when they want um, happy ending, and they know they know full like, release, yeah, <laughs> and everything in between, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and um and they know they know to go to my to my other persona for for everything for everything else for me i would so i do all romance books as emma like i don't have a darker one i just made a choice early on to just if it's romance i'll do it as emma because i didn't i mean we don't read the books before we sign the contract usually and I just yeah. didn't want to be in the position where I was like so I said I'd do it as but actually can I change like I just mm-hmm. didn't want to even have to deal with it <laughs> and it felt ding, easier ding, to ding. I didn't want to have to be like sometimes I'll be here as but other time like just yeah. felt too confusing so I was like I'm just going to do all romances Emma um but as a result I get a lot of romance and romance uh indie will be like, hey, so there's a series, it, it stretches from 2022 to 2024. <laughs> and it's like eight books. So can we can we just pencil those into your calendar? So Whoa. if I'm not careful, and often I'm not, because, it, you know, I'm a freelancer, I'm always like hungry for work, like the romance will eat my whole schedule, and there'll be nothing left. Um, and I don't want that. Like I want to do different kinds of books. Um, partly, I was thinking about why, and it's not because I don't, I'm like bored with romance, like it's not, it's because I really like, I mean, I love nonfiction, right? I love learning stuff. And I also like in fiction, getting to do heroines who are often un- or sometimes unlikable. And that doesn't yeah. come up very much in right. romance. Like, and I, I love that. Like, I, I miss that. Like that complexity in playing a, you know, playing a part who sometimes they do bad shit you don't like. And then you have to sort of think about they're like a whole person and it's complicated. And I love that. And so yeah. I want to do all kinds. So I'm trying really hard to get a better balance in my schedule between romance and not romance. Yeah, um, so it is conscious. Okay. Yeah, it's it's tricky though. Um because it means saying no to romance and then hoping that that space gets filled by non-romance. Uh well, but living in fear that it won't. Words. Yeah. Um, yeah, that hole, yeah, that those <laughs> holes are I'm fully fill filled. <laughs> um So let's hear you three lovelies read an excerpt from this very special radio play that Erin Mallon wrote. It's called Pale Blue Dots. Um, Erin, do you want to set it up for us a little bit? Sure. Um, So this is called Pale Blue Dots, and it's coming out this spring. We don't have a release date yet, but it's in the spring, and Blackstone Audio is distributing it. Um, It's about an all-female astronaut team 
in several years in the future. And um, David Bowie arrives. Elon Musk is a character. Um, and there's two, two citizens in space who have won a contest and they've gone up to the International Space Station with the trained astronauts. So in this scene that we're going to read, two of those citizens in space, Sonia and Clarice, are up there with an astronaut named Max. So um, I will play Clarice, um, Mackenzie will play Sonia, and Emma will play Matt. I have to ask, just because the writer is in the room and I get, I, get, <laughs> I just, I get, I get that way. Um, do you have any notes for us before we begin? <laughs> any, any accents you'd like? Any, what should, this what should is I, awesome. should this I is like, This is I, taking people behind the scenes of a working session. I like this energy. Um, <laughs> No, no accents. Um, so Mackenzie, you're playing Sonia. So you you are just in wide-eyed wonder of being here in space. I wrote this piece um from a lot of for a lot of reasons, but one of them is I watched this um amazing documentary called Overview. And it's this beautiful, it's like 18-minute film. And it's about what happens when astronauts go to space. And they think the goal is to go to space, to, so to go to the moon or to go to the space station. But then what inevitably happens to them all is there's this overview effect when they turn around and they look out the window and they see the earth hanging in space. And it's this moment that they all describe as like transcendent, um, mm. where you look back and you see where you were and you see how we're all connected. And um, it's just something, it's just this powerful thing that I'm hoping that the whole piece Encap like encapsulates not this scene so don't you know do that do that Mackenzie play that <laughs> um but no Sonia she's all wide-eyed wondered wonder and innocence and passion awesome okay great 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 thank you what am I like uh you're playing Max and Max is she's a caretaker she um the rest of the astronauts are like kind of pissed that these two people are here they don't have time for them but you really take them under the your wing. Um, okay. and you're like a world explorer. Um, you're someone that's never had a home, like you bounce around so you can get to know the world. Um, All right. and, and you and I are a bit attracted to each other. All right. <laughs> but not out there. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you for All that. Right. All right. I'll try to find my wide eyed innocence again. All right. <laughs> Good I luck. Left, I, I left it in my in my other closet. Okay, I'm, put, I'm putting it on. Okay, great. Can't wait. So right now, what happens is Sonia, played by Mackenzie, she enters the space, um, and she's wearing space pajamas. Lord help us, she's wearing space jams. You bet your butt I'm wearing space jams. Gosh, there are so many things people don't tell you about this experience. The beauty, the wonder. Sure, but first and foremost, the breast buoyancy. The moment I got on board, I tore my bra off. She did. I was there. Well, who needs it anymore, right? Gosh, it's so nice to be lifted like this. Not only my breasts, but everything. I'm convinced that being a woman on the planet is impossible. On Earth, everything just pulls us down. But up here, gosh, up here, it's just, oh, for the first time in my life, I feel, ah. Oh, I've decided I'm staying up here forever. You two look weird. Are you being weird? We're not. We're not. Weird. We're not being weird. Uh, 
okay. So, so how was the spacewalk sim? Oh, and um, um, what the hell is a spacewalk sim? A uh, sim is short for simulation. It's a uh, a practice. We do sims for everything you can possibly imagine: spacewalks, repairing punctures in the ship, procedures for returning to Earth's atmosphere. We even do sims for the event that one of us dies on orbit. Really? Sure. My mom actually came to mine. To your death sim? Yeah. I wanted her to know how things would go down if I ever <laughs> went down. It gave her a lot of comfort, actually, knowing what to expect. How she would receive the news, what they would do to my body. If there were any body left, that is. Excuse me? Well, you'd explode the exact second your bare skin touched the vacuum of space, yeah? Total Recall. You watched Total Recall, huh? Yes. I watched Total Recall the night before we launched. You know, for prep. All I have to say is wowza. That's a ridiculous and hilarious scene, but no. That's not what would happen if you were somehow sucked into the vacuum of space. What would happen? You really want to know? Yes. Okay. Well, you have to consider the fact that the sun is incredibly violent, yeah? The biggest explosion we could ever imagine. It's wild when you realize that, isn't it? That this sweet, loving image we have of the sun smiling down on us on Earth as kids, warming us and nurturing us, is actually a violent thermonuclear behemoth constantly tearing and exploding itself, absolutely demolishing and shredding anything in its path. And we need it to keep being that crazy and destructive. We depend on it. Anyway, um, you're sucked into the vacuum of space without a spacesuit. Okay, you know that there's shade and sun happening simultaneously, right? Yeah, the part of you that's in the shade is minus 250 degrees, so freezing. The part of you that's in the sun is 250 degrees plus, so boiling. It's kind of like lying on a red-hot stove with a piece of dry ice on your back. Oh, and there's absolutely no oxygen, so your lungs, your lungs will be sucked flat instantaneously. But worse than that, your blood is going to boil. So basically what it comes down to is you're going to burn, freeze, boil, and asphyxiate all in under 90 seconds. Bye-bye. Game over. Now, how come you can talk about this, but when I brought up the possibility of dying in space, everyone acted all offended? Maybe because you don't seem to take things very seriously? What are you talking about? I'm the most serious person I know. Certainly the most serious person on this ship. You have no idea how serious I am. Wait till you see. You're going to see how serious I am. Okay. Oh, mother effing shipwrecks on a dick. Look at that. It's the Earth. You're just now noticing her? Her? Yeah, her. She's a her, don't you think? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Definitely a her. End of excerpt. I don't know why that ending of this scene makes me tear up so much, but it's, it's such a lovely uh -huh. moment. Erin, um, do you know the play um, Blue Window by Craig Lucas? I know of it, but I've never read it or seen it. Okay. It's your, your, your plays kind of remind me of his writing. Oh, interesting. He was, he was like my favorite playwright college but it's it's just lovely and bravo and thank you so much for sharing that excerpt in here i love it so much and i mean you just know that the sound effects from the audiobook are going to be so cool yeah i'm excited about that we have this amazing sound designer named nick long and yeah. he um 
he came, he first came on to do my my play Come Find Me, um, and then I've just been asking him to do everything and going back and redoing sound design that I didn't have on the original ones. You know, because oh. I think I think people people who listen to audiobooks all the time they don't like audio they don't like sound design in their books. They just want the book. So I think yeah. I took that to heart and I'm like, but this is different. I'm trying to create an immersive experience, a theatrical mm-hmm. happening in your ears. Yeah. So um, I Aaron, wish I had I love it. I love it. Yeah, oh, and I love, can I just tell you, I lo- first of all, your writing is fantastic. And second of all, this is just the kind of writing that lends itself to sound design. And some of the first audio productions that I ever listened to were full, full production with sound design. And so maybe it's just that maybe it was just imprinted in me, but I love the, the full 360 experience. And oh, cool. I think this is going to sound amazing with, especially because it's space. Yeah. You, it can be, it can be whatever you want it to be. It's going to yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Do you, do you talk to your sound designer while you're writing and ask like, so if I put this in, can you do this kind of thing? No. Um, so most of my pieces, with the exception of These Walls Can Talk To, have all been written for the stage first. Oh, they were? Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So they've all been produced on stage, and then I've been adapting them for oh, the audio format. Okay. When it came to These Walls Can Talk To, though, I knew I was writing that specifically for audio, so I approached it differently. Um, mm-hmm. So I allowed there to be moments that are only communicated through sound. Yeah. Um, so that was a really cool experiment to do that. But no, for this, um, I took it, there was a stage performance and then I took the stage directions and I just tried to figure out what could be communicated in sound, what could we let go. And then I adapted the language too, because if you're only hearing things and not seeing things, it changes the storytelling. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it does. So did you do tons of research for this space-wise or like were you a I, space nerd? I did. I did. I've, I've always been a little bit of a space nerd, but mostly like from a fear perspective. <laughs> I, <laughs> like what happens if you get sucked into space? Well, <laughs> yeah, I've always found it terrifying. Like when I was a kid and people would talk about, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I'm like, you yeah. could not pay me all the money in the world. Like, <laughs> it terrified me. Um but yeah, I spent the summer that I wrote this play, I, I spent a lot of time, I followed all the female astronauts on Twitter and just everything they had to say. I paid mm-hmm. attention to, I, I took a course on, um, uh, what is it? Uh, what is that website? Uh, masterclass.com. I love masterclass. Um, me too. Chris Hadfield, who is um, yeah, yeah, yeah. a Canadian um, astronaut he he led a course and so I took that whole course about how to be a a rocket scientist (laughs) um yeah and uh just paid attention to all the launches and watched everything I could wow that's really cool and it's a fantastic concept I mean like for I mean from just what I'm hearing about it it's it's almost like this is a horrible way to put it, but it's almost like a reality show where strangers kind of have to live together in close quarters, but it's in space. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And two strangers get sent up and are basically treating it like, like that, like a right. reality show thing. But there's four women up there who have spent their lives um, training for this moment. And they're like, what the hell are you two doing here? Right. I didn't and, sign up to be on Bachelor International yeah. Space Station. And, right. and you said David Bowie <laughs> makes an appearance. So it's like Bowie in space. Yeah, Bowie Bowie has passed and he is um circumnavigating the globe uh, in the afterlife and <laughs> Yeah. 
Have you seen the Flight of the Concourse episode? Um, not till after I wrote it. <laughs> so you yeah. have the same brain funny? as well. Brett it's and- ideas. I, this is <laughs> what I've come to believe that ideas are alive and they yeah. they circulate and they land. <laughs> and I think that's amazing. So someone told me about that, and I watched it after I wrote it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of similar. Bowie in space. That's brilliant. Um, well, you guys, thank you so much for finding the time to do this today. I know it wasn't easy to coordinate all your schedules, but um, I think you're all awesome and you're all the best. Aww. And I love you. How can we all be the best? You, like, which one of us are. do you like the most? You know what? Yeah. You are. <laughs> we take turns. I love you all the Aaron most has, and you're all the best. Aaron has book one. I'll have book two. <laughs> and, and you get book three. Sounds good. And me book one. That's Aww. a lot of work. Kaylee, <laughs> thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for bringing. No, yeah. no, no. I didn't mean that literally. I just mean, you know, like, I don't know. Like how how else do three women share the the best of anything? <laughs> That's dark, man. In in, dark. in 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 romance, they each they're friends and they each have their own book. It's true. It's true. But today no we created our own lady book. Yeah, an FFFF. It's <laughs> a quadruple F. Uh, um, okay. Well, you're the best, Kaylee. You're, you're thank the you, best. Kaylee. Yes, I am also the best. Yes, <laughs> we're all the best. We're all the goats. All the goats assembled here in one <laughs> <a> goat farm. <laughs> yes, I love the goat farm. Wasn't that an interesting conversation? And a wonderful excerpt from Erin Allen's play. And now, I am very pleased to share with you a pretty lengthy clip from Chapter 3 of Attachment Theory by me, Kaylee Laurie, performed by another one of the best female narrators in the business, Emily Wuzeller as Scarlet. I don't even know how we got her for this Kaylee Loring production. I don't think she was expecting to say the word fart so many times in a romance, but anyway. Um, also, the one, the only, the insufferably charming Zachary Weber as Dylan Brody and Scarlett's eight-year-old son, Noah. To Scarlett at drshepherdmft.com From notdylanbrody at gmail.com Subject, accepting new clients. Hello, I was referred to you by one of your clients, Mia. I see that you specialize in marriage and family therapy, but it seems you do individual therapy sessions. If you have any slots available, my former therapist has recently retired, and I need a new therapist ASAP. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Dylan Brody. P.S. To be clear, I didn't mean ASAP as in it's an emergency. I am not any sort of danger to myself. I just really need to talk to a trained professional about my feelings right now in a very masculine and not at all self-involved way. Thanks. Holy shit. Mom! Noah yells from his bedroom. Go to sleep, little man. Yeah, but I have a question. Would the question be, is my subconscious messing with me by creating a fake Dylan Brody email address while I'm sleeping and then scheduling it to send messages while I'm awake? If so, we have a lot to discuss. I put down the glass of wine I just poured for myself and returned to Noah's room for the fifth time tonight. It is now 8.35 on a school night, and he has to get up at 6.30.
I give my basset hound Arthur a pat on the head on my way out of the kitchen. He likes to think of himself as the man of the house, so he raises his head in acknowledgement, then plunks it back down again. Our lab, Smurf, gets up to follow me. When I'm halfway down the hall, I remember that I haven't fed the fish yet tonight. So I go to the family room to feed them. When I get to Noah's room, I realize I forgot to put the cover over his hamster's cage. Smurf gives Noah a kiss and then lies down at the foot of the bed. I don't sit at the edge of his bed because I'm not staying. I stand with my feet firmly planted on the ground and cross my arms in front of my chest like a bouncer. Or Hagrid. What is your question? What happens when an astronaut farts in space? I consider my response options. And you know what? If immediately wanting to know the answer to that question makes me a bad parent, then I guess this confirms that I am a terrible parent. I slide my phone out from the pocket of my sweatpants and Google, what happens when an astronaut farts in space? Turns out a lot of people want the answer to this question, and I'm happy to say that my son thinks like Discover Magazine and Mashable. But I am thrilled to find that the first answer that comes up is from Australian Research and Space Exploration otherwise known as Ars. So I am going to indulge Noah by giving him an answer, otherwise known as delaying my response to the Dylan Brody email to the same degree that my son is trying to delay falling asleep. He sits up and bounces around in anticipation. Lie back down. He frowns and slams back down into the mattress and pillow. I do not want to. He holds up a finger. Answer the fart question, please. Okay, but only if you close your eyes and pretend to go to sleep. Oh my god, mama! He exhales hard, but he does it. He shuts his eyes, very exaggerated, but he does it. I win. Well, let's see here. It looks like if an astronaut farts while wearing a spacesuit, there's a seal around the neck that separates the helmet from the rest of the suit, so they won't smell it. But it's trapped there inside the suit. I look down at him. He's opened his eyes. Very interesting. He snaps his eyes shut again. Go on. And if they aren't in the spacesuit, just floating around in a pressurized cabin, the smell is extra terrible because of the lack of airflow and because the air is recycled. Noah covers his mouth and giggles. I thought so. He opens his eyes again. That's so cool. Well, it looks like it can actually be dangerous, too. Because you know how farts are made of gas? Some of those gases are flammable. What's flammable mean? Something that can catch on fire. He thinks about this for a moment and then erupts in laughter, his hands shooting up in the air. Space farts on fire! I slip my phone back into my pocket. All right, young man, back to sleep. How am I supposed to sleep now that I know there are people farting fire in space? That is literally the best thing I have ever, ever heard in my whole entire life. I don't know, buddy. How about we continue this discussion at breakfast? The sooner you go to sleep, the sooner it will be morning and we can Google this further. Fine, good night. I can't believe that worked. I tuck him in and give him his seventh kiss on the forehead for the night. Love you. Love you. He mumbles. Smurf follows me out without my having to ask him to even once. 
Hey, Mom, can I have a parakeet? No. Are you sure? Positive. No more pets. Okay. I closed the door most of the way and returned to the kitchen and my glass of wine and my laptop. I take a few anti-anxiety gulps of wine before opening up my email again to see if maybe, just maybe, I hallucinated the Dylan Brody message. I didn't. It's still there. I polish off the glass of wine as I check my schedule. I do have a client who just moved to Idaho, so I have one slot available. Do I want to fill that slot with Dylan Brody? I pour myself another glass of wine. Yes, yes, I do want Dylan Brody to fill my slot. Is it a bad, terrible, very bad idea for me to even consider treating Dylan Brody as a patient? Yes, it is bad, terrible, very bad. Of course, it might not be that, Dylan Brody. I certainly think Mia would have mentioned it if she knew Dylan Brody. Although... In our last session, she said she has a sort of double date set up with her best friend and her best friend's new boyfriend, who's a stand-up comic, and his manager, who is also her best friend's uncle. As I recall from the one time I did a deep-dive Google search of Dylan Brody three years ago, one of his brothers was just starting out in stand-up. If I learned anything from being married to an actor, it's that Hollywood is a very small world. Well, the other thing I learned was do not get involved with actors, especially actors who fall for their co-stars. And let's face it, that's basically all of them at one time or another. But as a therapist in the Grove area of Los Angeles, if I were to apply that rule to patients, I wouldn't have a practice. I mean, how will I know if it's the actor-slash-model Dylan Brody who emailed me unless I agree to meet with him for a preliminary session? Furthermore, if it's such a terrible idea for me to date Dylan Brody, then what better prevention is there than to see him as a client? I would be morally prohibited from having a sexual relationship with him. So if it is the actor-slash-model-slash-gopher from Caddyshack Dylan Brody, then the only way to truly exterminate him from my thoughts would be to treat him in individual therapy. I'm an excellent therapist. Probably. I'm definitely a good listener. He most likely wants to talk to someone about his current girlfriend, who is probably an actress. That would be the opposite of an aphrodisiac. In conclusion, setting an appointment with this Dylan Brody who has emailed me would in fact be a good, very good, really excellent idea. To Dylan Brody, from Scarlet Shepherd. Dear Mr. Brody, thank you for contacting me. I do happen to have an available slot. I have Thursdays at 4 p.m. open, starting this week. Let me know if that works for you. After our preliminary session, we can decide how to proceed. Best, Dr. Shepard, MS, MFT. Double check for typos, triple check for that so wizard, shoelace, or caddyshack references, and send. Professional, to the point, with absolutely no hint of potential conflict of interest due to possible prior street flirtation, or invasive shirtless fantasy sex thoughts. I shut my laptop and take my wine glass to the sink. Shit. I do happen to have an available slot? That could have suggestive connotations. Was that a Freudian slip? Did I just send Dylan Brody a Freudian slip? Less than one minute later, my phone dings with an email notification. 
To Scarlet Shepherd from Dylan Brody. Beautiful. I want that slot. This is Mackenzie Cartwright, also known as the official voice of Kaylee Loring's Lady Parts. Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring is produced by Elysian Nightfall Studios and The Audio Flow. To learn more about your host, you can visit www.kayleeloring.com. Thank you for eargasming.